0: Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that this morning we have an opportunity to, God, not just talk about you, but God, encounter you. And God, I pray that that is exactly what would happen this morning. God, that you would meet with us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, this morning, I am super excited because we're starting a series called I Love My Church. And I can honestly say this. I love the church. And I love this city. And I love this church, and I have grown to love these people. And so I think a lot of times we end up asking the question, what is the church? Like, what is the church for? What is it about? Why does It exists. So, this morning, what we're going to do is simply talk about why the church is actually here. And so, before we can do any of that, I figured what I would do is kind of give you somewhat of a history lesson of how the church actually got started. Because I want you to know today that you are not sitting here just by chance, or you're not sitting here just because on September 14th of last year we started this church. You're sitting here because there have been countless thousands if not millions of men and women that have sacrificed for you to be sitting here today. So let me walk you through really quickly how the church actually got started. One interesting fact, the church is actually the only organization in the world that has been around for over two millennia. Okay, other than possibly the IRS, but the church has been around for a long, long time. And it's been through many ups, and it's been through many downs, and she has consistently persevered. Um, So in Matthew 16, 28, Jesus promises to build his church, and he says this to Peter. He says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The church actually began 50 days after Jesus' resurrection on A.D. 35, And then the Holy Spirit descends on Pentecost in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. Peter preaches the first sermon, and get this. He preaches the first sermon right after Pentecost, and 3,000 people get saved. How awesome is that? 3,000 people get saved. Now, the initial converts were actually Jews, and the church was mainly made up of Jewish people. But not long after Pentecost, Philip preaches to the Samaritans, which were kind of half-breeds. Um, and then Peter begins to preach to the Gentiles, and Paul mainly to the Greco-Roman world, which is simply the Greeks and the Romans, and so the Romans. And so this is what happens. Back then, when Jesus was around, people literally think that the gospel is only for the Jews. Well, the Holy Spirit descends, and we begin, Paul gets this revelation that the gospel is for absolutely everyone. It is for the Gentiles, and the gospel begins to spread. And just if you did not know, we are all Gentiles. And so this is the cool thing about the gospel. From this point on, it is now available to absolutely everyone. So every race, every color, every socioeconomic status, no matter what part of life you come from, Jesus is absolutely for everyone. And then in AD 70, um, Jerusalem is pretty much destroyed, and most of the New Testament books were complete and circulating through the church. So for the next 240 years, Christians are persecuted, murdered, and the church begins to spread. Just an interesting fact. This, the church actually begins to spread all throughout the world because of one thing, suffering. Suffering. People are getting persecuted, people are getting murdered. So you've got Christians that are kind of trying to get out of certain places and they're spreading to different countries. And because of that, now Christianity is going all over the world. Now in AD 312, Roman Emperor Constantine encounters Jesus and makes Christianity Rome's primary religion. Now because the pagans were forced to convert, it meant they did not have a true heart change. So in this period, the church starts to get really weird. Okay, so, so what happens is, because Constantine kind of institutes, hey, now you've all got to be Christians. you got all these people that were worshiping idols, doing these weird things, and they kind of bring it into the church. And because they didn't really have a true heart change, you got all this weird stuff that kind of starts to happen. So this led to idol worship, a bunch of weird stuff that I don't really have time to cover. And then throughout the next few centuries, various councils were held to determine church doctrine and belief And so as the Roman Empire grew weaker, the church actually grew stronger. And then this is where you get the pope. You got a man that kind of self-identifies himself as the pope, the authority, the central figure of the church. And then in the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic Church continues to hold power. And then in 1095-1204, the popes endorse bloody crusades to eradicate Muslims and restore Jerusalem. And so all this kind of stuff goes on. And then around 1417, you got a man by the name of John Stott. And uh, at this time, the Bible itself was not available to the modern man. So if you were a priest, a pope, something like that, you were the only person that could read the Bible. And so John Stott says, listen, I want to translate the Bible into German language and begin to distribute it out to everyone because I believe that everyone should be able to read it. And so he actually translates quite a few Bibles. He gets quite a few copies printed. Well, the church finds out about it and says, you cannot print this for the modern man. And so they take all the Bibles that he had actually printed up. They drive a hole in uh, they put around a this stake, they light the Bibles on fire, and they burn him at the stake with the Bibles that he had just translated. And right before he dies, he utters this phrase. He says, he said, 100 years from now, there's going to be a man that comes along and is going to accomplish exactly what I was trying to do. And so exactly 100 years from the date that he was burned in 1517, a German monk named Martin Luther took a stand against the corruption in the church. And therefore, we have the Protestant Reformation. The church begins to break free from all the corruption. At this time, the church was so corrupt that people were actually selling salvation. They were taking the apostles' bones and, hey, if you want to get like two points, two stars on your golden bar and get to heaven, you should buy these bones. So a bunch of weird stuff was going on. So Martin Luther starts this whole Reformation information and the bible begins to be translated into many different languages and now the modern man is starting to read the bible and see the scriptures for himself for the first time so let's skip quite a few years in 1790 to about 1900 the church showed an unprecedented amount and interest on reaching um, the entire world for jesus So this is where we get the pilgrims, this is where we get the Puritans, this is where the gospel starts to spread all throughout the world. And then get this, in 2000, my dad plants a church in Jennings, Louisiana, And kind of this dream, this hope of, hey, I want to see a region, the southwest region all over Louisiana. I want to see it, come to know Jesus. So in 2000, my dad plants a church. We start off in the Holiday Inn, where literally we would be in a service, and my dad would be in the middle of a sermon, and the fire alarm would go off. (laughs) And we'd all have to get out, and we'd get back in after it was over, the fire drill, and he'd be like, all right, so where was I? (laughs) It was just really weird. And then in 2007... Um, after the church in Jennings was starting to do pretty well, um, we had a desire to plant another church. So in 2007, we planted a church in Eunice, Louisiana, and actually right now, today, they are celebrating their eight-year anniversary in Eunice. And then on September 14th, 2014, we launched this church. And so here's what I want you to understand. Before I go into anything, and I know that was an exhaustive list of history, and some of you might have been bored out of your mind, and I kind of nerded out just a little bit. But here's the deal. I want you to know where you came from. That literally for 2,000 years, okay, over 2,000 years, over 2,000 years, the church has prevailed The church has withstood the test of time. It has endured persecution. It has endured some crazy, weird, false doctrines. It has endured some just radical stuff. And here's the thing. Jesus loves the church. And Jesus said that I will build my church. So listen, I know that some of you guys are in here this morning. And maybe you've been coming for a little while and you say, you know what, I'm holding off until I actually get involved because I've been hurt at a previous church. And, and here's what I want to, to tell you this morning. Listen, I know that some of us have legitimate pain. We've got legitimate hurts. Some of us had, have experienced some weird, kooky, churchy stuff. I've seen it myself. But Listen, it is not a reason for us to withdraw because here's the deal. Jesus loves the church, even in all its weirdness and kookiness. Jesus absolutely loves the church. Jesus died for the church. He said he's going to build his church. So, we go through all that history to say that the church has prevailed, the church has endured. Do you think that Jesus is for the church? Jesus is for the church. Jesus loves the church. So, let me get one thing straight. I am not the primary lead pastor here at this church. Jesus is. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the lead pastor. And if for one moment I get wrapped up into, I've got this, I'm in trouble. Jesus is the leader. Jesus is the pastor. Jesus is the chief shepherd. And ultimately, it's his church. So let's read Matthew 16, um, verse 15 through 19. And it says this. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And I love this part. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know one thing that bothers me is... You guys notice that culture is getting darker, you know, I mean, you flip on the news and it seems like there's just one shooting after another, another police officer getting murdered, another shooting in a theater, all these things, all this darkness. And I love to read different things where people are just saying, man, the church is just so broken, they're not doing anything, it's the church is going to die. But yet the church is the hope of the world. Listen, the church is plan A, Jesus doesn't have a plan B. He's not like, hmm, I started the church. Should I actually start thinking about something else? So this is a question that we're going to spend the rest of our time answering. What is the church? What is the church? Number one, the church is not a building. The church is you and me. The church is not a building. The church is you and me. A hurricane could come here tomorrow and wipe this theater out. We'd still be the church. A tornado could come and destroy our building and Jennings and Eunice, we would still be the church. The church is not a building. The church is you and me. And to be quite honest with you, Jesus cares more about building you and me than he does building a building. So I get this answer, I get this question all the time. When are we going to get a building? We have one. (laughs) We have one. And listen, in the near future, sure, are we gonna, do we have plans to, to get a building and, and have our own place? Sure, yes, we do. That's not the church, though. Bricks and mortar do not make up a church. You and I, we are the church. Ultimately, Jesus did not die for a building. He died for you and me, right? So do you agree with this statement? And I want you to think about it. Think about it for a moment. The church is the hope of the world. Do you really believe that? Do do you really believe that the church is the hope of the world? If we're honest, I don't think most of us believe that. I don't genuinely think most of us believe the church is the hope of the world. Or at least it's not the hope of our world, right? The hope of our world for most of us is our bank accounts, our finances, our looks, our relationships, our career. For most of us, the church is not the hope of the world. Most of us view church like this. It's a place that we gather to see friends, to build relationships, hear a sermon, listen to some worship music, go home and eat some barbecue and watch football. That's the church, right? Or maybe you're on the other spectrum. Most of us think the church is a group of judgmental people, grandma and grandpa's tradition, and you don't want any part of it, hypocritical people and a place that people have badly been hurt. That's what most people think the church is. Most people don't view the church as the hope of the world. Now, I do not want to set you up believing that here at our Savior's Church, Crowley, that we're going to be perfect, okay? And that we're just going to be like, if if you've been hurt in another church, just come to ours, because we'll never hurt you. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, if we have not offended you yet, it will come. (laughs) I promise you. Why? Because we're people, and we make mistakes. So this is what... I would encourage you to open your heart up with this series and even this morning. Maybe you've been hurt at church. Maybe you've experienced some things that maybe just put a bad taste in your mouth about church in general. But Jesus loves his church and Jesus has never hurt you. He's never let you down. Ever. So there may be some bad experiences that you've gone through. But listen, we're banking not on people in the church. We're banking on Jesus that leads the church. Okay? So, continuing. Um, so when I, uh, before Claire and I met, I had um, a pretty serious girlfriend. Okay? And um, anybody, like, you had a girlfriend before or boyfriend, and man, you're like, dude, it's, like, going so well. And then all of a sudden, like the next day, it's like knife in the back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So I'm, I'm, I'm with this girl, and uh, we're eating lunch in the cafeteria. I'm eating a turkey sandwich, and uh, we're kind of sharing our turkey sandwich together. And <laughs> the next day, um, I find her with my best friend sucking on a juice box. And I'm like, dude, this girl just stabbed me in the back. She is sharing a juice box with my best friend. And in kindergarten, I was crushed. <laughs> That didn't really happen, but I thought it was funny. Um, here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Most of us have had bad relationships go bad, right? Well, we've gotten into a relationship, and it's a boyfriend, it's a girlfriend, and like you center your universe around them, and it goes well for one, two years, and all of a sudden, what? Knife in the back, get crushed. And so what happens? You go into relationship after relationship after relationship with this bad taste. So what do you do? You don't trust. You don't open up. You don't share your thoughts. You don't share your feelings. And here's the thing. This is what most of us do with the church. You've been hurt by church. So it's like that bad relationship. Look, I'm going to come and it's going to be a place that I sit and, you know, I like, you know, the, the, the comfortable vibe that you guys got going on. But I'm not going to trust, I'm not going to get involved, I'm not going to open up, I'm not going to live in community because that's dangerous. And I've been hurt before and I don't want to be hurt again. And that's what most of us do with the church. But if Jesus loves the church, if Jesus is building his church, then ultimately he's building his people. And we cannot allow past offenses and past hurts to affect us for the rest of our life. So I'm not saying that you just look. I'm not saying just, hey, just get over it. It's not what I'm saying. There's probably some healing and some things that we need to walk through and some things that we can, hopefully if you get involved, and I'll be talking about this at the end of the service, if you get involved in a community group, that you can walk through that with other people. Number two, the church is for perfectly imperfect people. The church is for perfectly imperfect. In- perfect people. Romans chapter 5 says this in verse 6 through 8, for while we were still weak, I love that, like so why you did not have it all together, while you were still trying to figure some stuff out, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Verse 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. While we were still sinners. Jesus gave his life for you when you were not willing to die to yourself, when you were not willing to die to your flesh. This should mean something. So here's the deal. When you walk in these doors, you don't have to have it all together. You know why? Because we trust that when you walk into these doors that ultimately you're going to encounter Jesus and he's going to radically transform your life. You don't have to walk into these doors having it all figured out, having your life all ordered out. The church is for perfectly imperfect people. How many of you guys have heard this excuse before? I don't go to church because it's full of a bunch of hypocrites. Show of hands. How many of you guys have heard that? How many of you guys have said that? <laughs> Listen, join the club. Join the club. We all fall short, we all make mistakes, and we all make fools of ourselves, right? Stop using the excuse because you fall into the same category. If we look at it, we don't all 100% live up to what we say we are. That's why Christ died for us when we were weak, while we were still sinners, So you can say that the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Well, you can join us. (laughs) It's full of a bunch of people that don't have it figured out. And we're on the right track to go, Jesus, we want to be made more like you. It doesn't mean that we keep living hypocritical lives when we get in here. But it means if you are living that, you can come here. You don't have to have it all figured out. I've loved this quote since the day I've heard it. Jesus loves the version of you right now, not the future version that you're convincing yourself you have to be in order for Jesus to love you. He loves you right now. Like, you can walk in these doors with addiction. You can walk in these doors with a failed marriage. You can walk in these doors, however your life is panning out, and Jesus wants to meet with you. Number three, the church is a place where the lost can meet Jesus and experience freedom church is a place where the lost can meet Jesus and experience freedom. Luke 9.10 says this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I love that. He's seeking them out, but not only is he seeking them out, but he has every intention of saving them. So here's the deal. We don't want you to come in these doors and the sermon starts going and you feel like the warm and fuzzies. Like, ooh, man, okay, uh, this feels good. This feels right. I want to be a part of this. Ultimately, we want you to encounter Jesus, not just experience some kind of experience or a feeling or some kind of sense of, man, community or love. We want you to encounter Jesus. So here's the good news. If you feel lost and every corner you turn seems to lead to depression or despair or whatever it may be, know this. Jesus is seeking you. According to Luke 19, Jesus is seeking you out. And even better news, Jesus is not only seeking you, he wants to save you. Jesus wants to save you. He's not only looking for you, he wants to radically transform your life. He wants to save you from the divorce. He wants to save you from hopelessness. He wants to save you from depression. He wants to save you from addiction. Jesus is not just seeking you. He wants to transform your life. That is what the church is about. Now, I want you to hear me out on this. We are willing, I am willing, to do anything outside of sin to get people in these doors. Like anything short of sin to get people in these doors so that they can know Jesus. Think about this. Just track with me for one moment. Think about this. Jesus spent his time with prostitutes, turning water into wine, dining with sinners. People that sometimes the church looks at and says, why are you with those people? And what was Jesus' response? He said, well, hold on, time out. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. So I'm going to spend my time with the sick. And so here's what this does. If you've been in church for a long time, if you've kind of done this whole, like, instead of engaging culture, you have just pulled back and you've separated from it. And when lost people come in, you're like, oh my gosh, they need to stop cursing around me. They need to stop doing this. And I can't believe they're living life this way. Listen, lost people do lost things. If they don't know the truth, if they don't know the way, they act the way that they are acting because they're lost. And so here's what we have to do to reach the lost. We have to, instead of criticizing culture, instead of demonizing culture, instead of criticizing people that are doing things that we don't agree with, you know what we do? We engage them. We don't embrace it. We don't say, hey, what you're doing is okay. But we engage them right where they're at. Right where they're at. We don't freak out about it. We don't panic about it. We go to them wherever they're at. And we engage Culture. See, Jesus met people where they were. He sought them out so that he could introduce them to his saving grace. So listen, church, I I beg of you. When lost people come in these doors who are just lost and they don't know Jesus and they may be acting a certain way, don't criticize the behavior. Engage them. Like, pray for them. Like, have a conversation with them. Go to them and say, man, why is it that you feel this way? What can I do to help? Engage them where they're at. As a church, we're called to engage culture, but we're not called to embrace it. Listen, in my mind, this is how I see it. Every empty seat in this place is somebody that does not know Jesus. Jesus. Every empty seat in this place is somebody that does not know Jesus. What would it look like if the church decided to be the church simply just in their neighborhood? Like, maybe you have somebody right next door to you that does not know Jesus. What would it look like if simply all you had to do was bake some cookies and bring it to them and be friendly? You ever met, like... Just some Christians, and they're like the most angry, mean people in the world. It's like, whoa, like I thought you loved Jesus. Like, extend kindness to somebody and allow that to open the door to conversation. Number four, the church is a place to grow alongside family. The church is a place to grow alongside family. So here's the deal. This is not just a place to sit. This is a place to belong. This is not just a place to sit. This is a place to belong. So if you came in here for the first time broken, weary, tired, welcome home. Welcome home. Listen, if you don't have a church yet and maybe you're kind of checking it out, listen, we want to take you in and say, listen, let's introduce you to Jesus and let's introduce you to family. Let's introduce you to Jesus. Let's introduce you to family so that you can know the God who saves us. See, when you're part of a healthy, life-giving church, you expe- experience authentic community. So what's community? Community is simply this. The word community is a compound word. Com meaning with. And the word unity meaning exactly what it means. <laughs> so with community or with unity with unity. There's nothing worse, absolutely nothing worse than showing up to work with a team that is absolutely divided. Right? You ever tried it? You get to work and you have this certain task that has to be done and you have that one guy that says, "No, let's do it this way." And then the other guy says, "No, I think we should do it this way." And then the other guy says, "No, I think we should do it this way." When the manual says like you should do it this way, but everybody decides to deviate and do it their own way. What is that? That's disunity. It's frustrating, right? But listen, when we come into a church and it's unified and people genuinely take care of each other and they love each other, there's unity there and we live in that unity, awesome things begin to happen. Christ gets glorified. Our neighbors begin to know Jesus. The community sees us as a church that is not just another church in town, but the church that really wants to see the city flipped upside down for the sake of Jesus. 1 Corinthians says this in chapter 12, verse 13. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. All were made to drink of the spirit. Listen. I think, I genuinely believe this is not just my heart. This is Jesus' heart for this church. Is that we are called to see the hopeless, the broken, the distraught, the addicted the hurting, come into this place and encounter Jesus. To be set free from things that, man, they've been struggling with for 10, 15, 20 years. Maybe that's some of you in here. Maybe you're sitting in here saying, man, I need something. I'm I'm in here as a last ditch effort and I I don't know what to do. Number five. The church is unstoppable. The church is unstoppable. Reading again in Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And what? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let that resonate with you for a moment. Listen. If the church has lasted for two millennia, it's not stopping anytime soon. As the world grows darker, it's only an opportunity for the church to grow brighter. Greater darkness, greater light. So let me set it up this way Imagine just for a moment that you are part of this organization called the CIA, okay? And if you're a guy like me, like, every now and then you go to that fantasy world. Like, what would it be like if I was just like this awesome, like, agent? That... You ever, like, I have this dream of, like, when people, like, if I have fantasize in, like, restaurants, if, like, somebody comes to me and, like, they're gonna hurt my family or whatever, I have this idea of, like, dude, I'm telling you, I know, like, every move in the book where it's just, like, they try to come, put their hand on my wife, and she's like, ha! And they all die, you know? I have this fantasy. But anyway, so imagine for a moment, You're in the CIA, you're part of this incredible, awesome organization, and you get asked, and they say, hey, listen, we want you and your unit to go to this particular country, and there's all these terrorists, and we want you to eliminate them. So you get on a plane, you get all your gear together, and you go overseas, and you eliminate all these terrorists. And you fly back. Do you think when you lay in bed at night, or at least if you're me, you would, you lay in bed at night, and you say, dude, I actually am a part of something amazing. Like, I just saved all these people. I just did all this great stuff. If I wouldn't have taken out those terrorists, and who knows, thousands, if not millions of people would have died, and I made a significant difference. So that's a silly example, but imagine it this way. Some of you fantasize about the same thing, maybe in different forms. You think, man, if I could just have this position at this job, then I could be this Man, if if I could just have this kind of wife, or this kind of husband, or this kind of marriage, or if I could just have this kind of house, then I would have this kind of fulfillment. Then I could be a part of something incredible. Then I could be a part of something just really cool. And some of us tell ourselves that, right? Like, man, my life is just, it seems boring. So if I could just be a part of this Just something, maybe you see it on Facebook or Instagram and you see somebody's life and you're like, man, if I could just have a life like that, then it would be incredible. For me, when it's I sit down and I see a movie and it's like this action film superhero, this guy doing all this stuff, like the whole time, like you may watch the movie and say that was a cool movie. I'm sitting there and I'm like, that's me. That is me. I can do everything he can do. My wife can't stand it because as soon as the movie's over, I'm in my minivan. And I'm like, yeah, like just driving like a wild man. She's like, baby, it was just a movie. Baby, no, I know how to drive, all right? But listen, here's the sad thing in all this. All of us, whatever it is that you visualize or fantasize about, if you could just be a part of this, then your life would be something significant. Without realizing that you're a part of the most significant, effective organization in the planet, which is the local church. The local church is the hope of the world. Put yourself in those shoes for a moment. You have the opportunity to be a part of an organization that has spanned for over two millennia, endured every kind of persecution imaginable. And you have an opportunity to be a part of that. See, when you're part of a church, you are part of the most effective, life-giving, transforming organization in the world. Now, when I say you're a part of a church, I'm not just saying that you come in here and you sit in a seat on a Sunday, I mean that you're actively engaged, that you are a part. So, let this phrase resonate with you now. The local church is the hope of the world. Jesus is into building his people through his church. So, maybe some of you are asking this question, how can I actively be a part of O.C. Crowley? How can I actively be a part of glad you asked. Number one, go through Next Step, which is going to be kicking off next week at, uh, right after service at Old Time Cafe. Um, It's going to be, we have spots for a few more people. Um, It's going to be a packed class, um, but I strongly encourage you, if you have not gone through it yet, go through it. Go through it. This is a way where you can go through, you can figure out everything that we're about, our vision, our beliefs. You can Get to know all that. But not only that, you can have the opportunity to be a part of what we call a dream team, which leads me to the next step. So you go through the next step, then you figure out all the different things that it takes for O.C. Crowley to run and to function. And then you choose, hey, God, where do you feel like I should have my fit? Number three, simply join a group. Join a group. On September 13th, also starting next week, we're going to be launching groups all over the city. All over the city. Um, As you leave here today, if you go out of this door right here, there's a table set up and it has a description of all the different groups that we have right now and uh, a sign up sheet as well. So you can look at them. Some are mom's groups, some are men's groups, some are women's groups, some are just, um, some are, some, they're great. Anyway, um, but there's a bunch of different descriptions. Some are for young adults, some are for um, older people. Whatever it is, we, we've tried to span every category that we have all throughout the church. But here's where I can promise you this. If you get involved in a group, that is where the most effective life change is going to happen. Because it's, it's one thing to hear a message, to hear a sermon, be convicted, and then what do you do when you walk out of these doors with it? You can choose to just shuck it off. You can just choose to say, yeah, that was good, and I'll wait for next week. Or you can choose to get in a group and say, okay, now I want to dialogue about what God is teaching me, what I'm learning. I need other Christian people that are going through this life just like I am. My life has absolutely been, Claire and I are leading a group. My life has been changed in life groups, in groups. Just sitting around a table, having dinner with somebody, sharing about your struggles, your ups and your downs, and your walk with Jesus. That's where we grow. Number four, be generous. If you feel like this is your church, give. Give. Number five, pray daily for this church. Pray daily. Listen, our vision and our mission here is simply reaching people and building lives. And it's just what I talked about earlier, that Jesus is out there, he's seeking, and he's saving. That's what reaching people, building lives is all about. We want to reach them, we want to pull them in, and we want to build them up. We want to make disciples, we want to heal them, we want to get them whole, we want to get them set free. So listen, I I challenge you and I encourage you. Listen, this church, I know it for a fact, this church is going to do some significant, amazing things for the kingdom of God here in this city. And listen, I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of what God's doing here because you are the church. You are the church. So listen, I encourage you to go home, to pray, to seek God. God, what would you have me do? What would you have me to be a part of? What would you have me do? What would you have me be a part of? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity together. God, we thank you that you love your church. God, you love your church deeply. God, we thank you that you said that you will build your church, that it does not simply just rest on our shoulders. God, you will build your church. We've got to pray for those in here that are wrestling, God, with maybe addictions, those in here that are wrestling with um, a failed or or a struggling marriage. God, maybe with kids or whatever finances, whatever the situation may be. God, I pray that one, they would encounter your radical grace and two, that they would encounter what it genuinely looks like to be a part of a church family. That we could spend some time walking them through those things and them knowing that they don't have to do it alone or by themselves. God, we thank you for what you're doing in us and here in this church. In Jesus' name. Amen.